0: Hello friends of Soul Kitchen, thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Jasper Mozart, I'm an entrepreneur, adventurer, coach, and wisdom seeker. With Soul Kitchen I interview people that inspire me, from TED speakers to social entrepreneurs, from activists to artists, from dreamers to seekers, from business people to spiritual teachers. With soul kitchen i empower people to live their quest and each episode contains a recipe for life what is your quest well so welcome friends to a new episode of the soul kitchen i'm very excited to interview tim van der tiller today who's the founder and ceo of Bukuchu, a company reshaping the way we travel stimulating plane travel versus only train travel for intercontinental flights initially uh, Tim is based in Spain I'm based in Mexico at the moment and I met Tim at a conference of Mind Valley University last year in Estonia where we were met through a matchmaking AI it was a really cool AI technology and every day you were presented with three people uh, that you could talk with we were connected and um, I think Tim sent me a message I maybe I sent him a message. And he shared a few business ideas. So, one idea he had was a restaurant. Another idea was this this Chu thing on, on public transport. And we started talking, and now it is collaborating uh, on this venture. We're actually both uh, shareholders in in Chu. And um, uh, Tim has worked in the NGO sector, also in Central Africa. He studied econometrics. So, he is familiar with the idea of optimization. He's also a soccer fan and um yeah he lives with his partner in uh, in spain and he's also an effort learner of languages so it's a versatile man with uh, many talents uh, passions interests and experiences um yeah how do you feel today tim about this uh, first interview um
1: excited as always uh, um it's always good to speak to you um so that's uh, that's just nice and uh, it's it's nice to share a story and uh um, the moment I start talking, actually, I start thinking as well. So basically teaching so, well teaching telling something is also learning something, so in that way, I'm really excited about it.
0: Mm. So, um, can you elaborate on that? Telling something is also learning something.
1: Yeah, the moment I tell something, I always ask myself a question, Is it really like that? Um, is it still like that? And, um, that ignites basically my brain. Um, so that, that makes me question everything. And well, that, that leads to new insights and, uh, um, that, that might actually lead to, uh, that I would disagree with what I've told, um, a few months later. And, and, um, yeah, those are the new insights. And, and I think every new insight is a, is a learning, um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, so telling is getting new insights. Telling is getting new uh, new insights. I think that's a um, nice uh, piece of wisdom there. And um, if you look back at your life, I think you're 37 years old, right? Yeah. If you have to summarize all your life experiences, what is kind of the recipe for life that you want to share with the listener?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a new insight or a new recipe I got, uh, the latest one. Yeah. Um, I think it holds for both uh, um, what I do uh, with my entrepreneurship and also uh, with my personal development. Um, I would summarize it as read a few recipes, try a few recipes out, uh, but at one moment stop looking at those uh, those cooking books and start creating your own recipes. Um, so if it comes to personal growth, it's uh, uh, take courses, do courses, get really immersed in it, and at one moment actually. Put it a bit aside. Summarize what you get from it, uh, cherry pick from it, and uh, uh, create your own recipe. For example, your own daily routine or your own habits, um, picked from several ones. Um, and I think the same molds for uh, what I'm doing with Bukit now. Um, start looking at uh, what you don't like, what's going on, what you think can go better. Uh, but at one moment, start speaking, uh, stop speaking about it, uh, and start doing something. And uh, mm-hmm
0: actually uh well get on your feet so why have you formulated that recipe Um, is it because earlier in your life maybe you have been standing on the sideline or you have maybe had opinions instead of acting or where where did it come from
1: yeah i was a bit on the sideline and um if i look back at it uh, a bit too long um only telling other people what other people should do differently uh, or how things could have been improved at um well myself doing nothing um and more recently um I'm uh, less unsatisfied with uh, uh, the length I took there to really get immersed in in personal growth and personal development mm-hmm. um, and um at one moment I realized okay that's cool I can I can take a million other cor- uh, courses and I w- I w- I will keep on taking courses but at one moment I need to to create my own recipe and uh, my
0: own, well, what I said, daily routine, habits, etc. Mm. And what has been, um, how has the process been for you to really step into this role of uh, CEO of Bukicu? You recently attended a pu- public speaking course. Uh, you're really stepping into your own power. But can you share a bit about your process until that point where you decided not to stand on the sidelines anymore, but step into that role? Yeah,
1: I think one of the things I took from uh, uh, courses that I actually um, participated in um, was that at one moment you need to get into a zone of discomfort. Um, And while you played a role in this, I met you and um, I took the discomfort sharing my story with you and also my ideas. And um, speaking about them gave me a bit of the last push to actually start doing something and also... Expose yourself and getting into the world, share your story, until there is a moment there is no going back, and um, that is that is difficult uh, and exciting at the same moment. Um, but uh, I felt the need for that, and I think that at one moment I realized that's the only way to um, to keep it excited and uh, and to get
0: a reward for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. Um... What is your big dream for Bukachu?
1: My big dream is in the upcoming 10 years to uh, save 1 million flight tickets. In the intro, you actually said replace plane tickets by... No, you said replace train tickets by plane tickets. It's the other way around. We want to have uh, less less flights and uh, more train rides. Uh, and my biggest dream is that in the upcoming 10 years, we save 1 million flights. Basically, <laughs> selling 1 million train tickets um, that replace
0: um, um, flights. Mm. And um, what is your key motivation behind this? I mean, is it um, doing something environmentally friendly? Is it creating your own freedom? Is it experimentation? Like, what drives you? Yeah, it's it's probably tough, twofold. Um, of course, I want to
1: achieve something and I want to, uh, set up a company. And I think that's a, that's a really cool process in itself, but I can only work on something if I believe in the product, uh, I'm creating and in this product I really create because it's a personal frustration of mine. And to me, it's actually a no brainer, um, that we should do this. Uh, maybe I can share how, how I came to the idea and then it also shows what we are actually doing with Pukachu. Um, the thing is, the airline market is has grown in a way that is not necessarily uh, beneficial for the environment. There are many flights and airlines benefit from having feeder flights, short flights, etc. That means that if you want to take a long journey, often it's uh, for you cheaper or handier to first take a short flight and then a long flight to go far away. I think that those short flights in many situations can be replaced by trains, especially since since train goes uh, since many trains go to airports. Think of Charles de Gaulle, Frankfurt, Brussels, Amsterdam. Um, that's a bit the region I'm from. Um, and I started doing that myself because I I've been on more planes uh, than I'm proud to share. Um, but I wanted to minimize my impact when I was traveling, so. I thought if I first, if I do the first part by train, then at least I save one flight and that optimization or that efficiency that we can achieve there. Um, yeah, to me, it's a no brainer. Um, and it's not there in the market and well, I was frustrated about it and I thought this can be done better. Um,
0: and so my own recipe is then to, to actually make it better yourself. Mm, So it started with an own wonder or or surprise uh, in the market based on your own behavior. And um, where are you now in the process? Um, Do you have a team? Do you have investors? Do you have a product? Like, where are you at the moment? Um, Together with uh, our CTO, Sander, we are
1: uh, building the MVP. Um, So that's a minimum viable product, really a a simple version of uh, uh, the searching and booking machine. Uh, on which you can uh, um, buy those uh, those journeys, and um, uh, we are now connecting airlines and uh, uh, train operators uh, to actually uh, have the possibility uh, to print those tickets and uh, to email those tickets to our customers. And we hope somewhere in uh, in the middle of twenty twenty three to go live.
0: Hmm, in twenty twenty three, and um, what do you experience the most challenging part? uh so far because i exp- i can imagine that it's quite complex to i don't know build a search engine with all sorts of trains and planes across the world it's
1: it's patience i want to go faster and, uh, <laughs> the fact that you're dependent on other parties uh it's a fact of life but uh, mm. i don't think it's the most fun part uh we now need to connect and it's, it's, of course, cool to to work together with other companies and uh, uh, other businesses, um, but I want to go a bit faster on that. Uh, so I think that's, uh, that's my biggest challenge.
0: Mm. So the challenge now is uh, patience. And um, before you started this project, you had a certain uh, venture uh, slash passion project. It's called Lines by Tim. It was a project at the intersection of uh, public transport, uh, design and and, and art. Uh, can you share a bit more about that project and what had you experienced as the main challenge in that project? Yeah,
1: well, I love public transport because I think it's uh, the most efficient way of traveling in, uh, in most cases. And uh, I'm really intrigued by metro systems. Um, so I'm a bit of a metro aficionado. And... With the metro systems, a map or a metro diagram comes with it for cities. And often these diagrams become icons of a city. People actually (laughs) take pride in their metro system. Um, If I would show you a few of those diagrams, let's say London, New York, you will recognize them immediately. Um, And some people can actually appreciate them as art on their wall. Uh, It's not only me, but uh, there, there is a market for that, believe me. Um so i started drawing them and uh, i put them online and uh, they're for sale um, but i'm uh, in that project uh, i really like the uh, um, the art part and the designing part of it and not so much the marketing part uh, that's not my strength i think and um, that's also not where my heart is uh, so that's my biggest challenge in that project
0: Mm, I see. So it's the marketing and the, the getting the customers and really getting getting into the market. Yeah, I'm more like the product itself. Mm, yeah. So you like the design and the product part. I'm a, a trainer, coach of uh, startup programs, and one program, uh, let's say an organization I work with, called the Impact Hub. So they help social entrepreneurs to grow. And I've done two programs with the cohort of designers. In collaboration with what design can do and also with the doom foundation with dutch designers what i saw there is that designers are kind of uh artistic and care a lot about the design of their products and and it's nearly a piece of art uh, which is sometimes a different um uh, field than let's say marketing right because with marketing you have to please the consumer but a typical designer i don't know firstly wants to create something beautiful instead of let's say pleasing uh, consumers So are you uh, in that project where you're more focused on I don't know creating stuff that you liked or were you more focused on pleasing others?
1: I would say more what I liked. Um, I did think of um, of the market and what people want to see and and what kind of stuff but it's um, I think I had more the artistic, approach that it would be my art and to show that and and how i would see it and i think somewhere i also wrote it's my interpretation of a diagram or my interpretation of a city or sometimes i even did my interpretation of a building um so it's basically seen the city's icon through my eyes mm-hmm. so if i'm honest it's it's um <laughs> more focused on on the product from my point
0: of view i see It's always an important uh, uh, way to to start. And have you changed between lines by Tim and uh, Bukachu in terms of your approach to marketing or uh, attracting uh, people? Have you been working on that? Yeah.
1: I realized I cannot do it on my own. And uh, Bukachu is, of course, a way bigger project. And uh, I also realized people need to specialize and you need to do what you're good at. And... um, also, uh, outsource what you're not good at or let other people do that. And what you just also asked me that actually triggered, uh, um, uh, triggered a thought I had. You asked me, were you more focused on the consumer or were you more focused on what you liked yourself? And with Bukachu the original idea is what I think is better. And I think that's a very good start. But I realized now I need to ask what do you guys, what do you customers want? Um, So in that sense, I
0: definitely learned from that. And uh, um, well, whatever I learned, I do differently now. Mm. And you're also working with a customer advisory panel. So what kind of insights have you received uh, from them? Let's say outsider insights. That
1: uh, my ideas are... um, not always shared by everybody and, and that my particular um uh wishes uh, are really particular for me and not necessarily uh for a broader audience um and that sometimes the customer just wants it less simple than i think the customer wants it i was really surprised by that insight i thought it needs to be clean and uh we do the creation curation, curation. Is that how you say it? Curation? Curation, yes. Curation. We do the curation and, and believe us, that's what we do. And actually, one of the insights that 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 we got was, actually, I like seeing the not so good options, whereas I mm-hmm. thought, let's not bother the customer with options that they're never going to take. Um, and I think that's um, uh, illustrative for how your own thinking can be really different from actual
0: practice in the market hmm so sometimes it's your you make maybe assumptions or you're passionate about something it's really that yeah. you you make assumptions
1: and you think the whole world is the same as you are and then um you're gonna test it you're gonna ask it and then the market tells you the complete opposite
0: hmm i see i think that's also pitfall for uh new entrepreneurs i mean you you've started something in the past but really to be overly passionate about their own ideas and then not, not testing enough with the market. If you look at the market and if you look at human behavior, your venture is active in the field of sustainability, sustainable behavior, behavioral change. Uh, for instance, people like me, they also take intercontinental flights. I could be part of your target audience. But what type of customer profiles have you distinguished and what type of behavior do they show related to uh, sustainable choices? I think the
1: the two main groups is um, uh, business travelers. And uh, I also would reckon and Joe travelers for that people that need to travel that have really good reasons to go there different uh, than a holiday. Um, So they they have something um, to do at the other side of the ocean. And that's one group. And the other group is, uh, um, well, probably people like you that just Mm want to travel and want to take their holidays or their journeys. And businesses, NGOs, they often have a green policy or they want to be green and they want to share that they are green, uh, but they find it hard to put into practice. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we can help them help them with that. And people like you are a bit related to how I was myself as a traveler, um, that you want to do something and you're a bit frustrated. It's, it's hard to do it actually. And you do not have the full view of how you can do it. Um, so I don't want to say that people like you do not want to make the choice, but, um, I think we should help you a bit making choice, uh, showing you what options are available and actually showing you that there are different options because there's many people in the Netherlands, for example, who would not even realize that Frankfurt is really well accessible by train, the airport, mm-hmm. and that you can take a, a flight from there. And. That's something I want to make visible to them and also easy to book. So um, it's it's helping
0: the people that need a bit of help there. Yeah, so it's helping the people that need a bit of help but are maybe open uh, for making more sustainable uh, choices. And with sustainability um, and, and business, I mean, if you are cheaper and you are more sustainable, then you have a brilliant idea and it's going to be easy. But what's often the case with sustainability is that you're a bit more expensive than the competitors. So how do you lo- look at your your offering in terms of uh, sustainab- sustainable, sustainable uh, quality, price? Like, uh, yeah, how does that look like? Often,
1: when you want to do something good, it just costs money, and that's a bit how the market is. There is no tax on uh, plane tickets, and uh, train tickets are especially in northwestern europe cross-border relatively expensive Mm -hmm. Um, and then there is airlines with their market that that have incentives to uh, offer really cheap feeder flights or short flights cheaply that's a fact of life and um it's it's not within um within scope now to be able to change that so that's something we need to deal with and um maybe that's something that we need to explain to customers as well uh, that it comes at a price, but if I look at people offsetting their flight, that's also uh, well not uh, not for free. That costs money, and I think people are willing to pay to make a more sustainable choice.
0: Mm. So you think uh, people are willing to pay? Is it more on the individual side or on the organizational side? I think both. Um,
1: there is there is many. There, there is a lot of anecdotal proof in um, uh, I think also your group of friends, my group of friends that people are willing to, to pay a Euro extra for a more sustainable product or a more sustainable um, supermarket. Um, companies are doing the same, um, especially if uh, if they can show it and and if it's in line uh, uh, with their policies. Um, yeah. And, and in that sense, we focus on sustainability and we do not focus on price. So, uh, we will also not compete on on price because i also think we are basically in a different market than people that wanted to offer uh, the cheapest journey possible
0: mm, i see so you're confident that some people and organization are willing to pay a bit more because they're uh, they're doing good well i'm very curious to see how bokachu will uh, will develop and in terms of um uh, bootstrapping or raising investment for entrepreneurs i mean bootstrapping means you don't attract investment uh yeah you give yourself a low salary you try to be profitable like that and the other option is raising investment how do you view this choice uh, that you have and have you made a decision already yeah bootstrapping is the most romantic option and uh
1: that probably brings a very nice story in the end uh but i really wonder if it would, it's realistic in in the market that we want to enter and um how I've made my cal- calculations. Now we we need some investment to gain some uh, initial market share and attract the first customers, and um, yeah, getting a place in the market basically. Um, so that means we're basically looking for investors
0: now. Mm, and what type of investors do you hope to attract? Is it individuals? Is it venture capital? Is it subsidies?
1: Yeah, subsidies is a very interesting one um, because. I think um, it would make sense for, for example, the EU to actually give us a subsidy. Um, So we do look into that, but also uh, venture capital, uh, we look into that Um, and yeah, given the fact that we're looking for about a million, close to a million euros, um, probably venture capital would be most logical or most suitable. yeah, if a subsidy is, um, if we are granted uh, some subsidy for from, for example, the EU, that that would be that would be absolutely marvelous. But
0: uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: a- anything is on the table uh, basically. But I think uh, venture capital is uh, most realistic, and
0: it, it also suits the business. Mm. Yeah. So a mix of subsidies and venture capital would be would be great. Before we go to another topic, is there anything else you want to share about Bukachu or your process as a founder so far? I think we've covered uh, quite a
1: bit. Um,
0: maybe what I can say,
1: I'm very, it's it's still early in the process, but I've really enjoyed it so far and I'm really looking forward to the time I had. So uh, if you've never been an entrepreneur, I can definitely recommend it. It's, uh, um, it's something completely different than I've done before and I've learned so much already. and uh, I'm really looking forward to what's yet to come.
0: And um, why do you like it so much or what do you like most at a personal level, so not necessarily at a business level? Um,
1: I like it that I'm really responsible for what I'm doing myself. Um, So as a part, I'm in in control of what I'm doing, Uh, but it also means that I have more responsibility. And um, sometimes that... Uh, that's not the easiest way, but I think it's uh, the most, well, again, uh, I think I said it before, but it's the most rewarding. Um, and I do things really, I do different things than I do in any other role. And that means that I learn different things. And that's always exciting.
0: Hmm. I think the difference between being a founder or a CEO or let's say having a role in an organization is that you're you have to know a little bit about everything, right? So it really challenges you. Uh, to grow out of your comfort zone. Um, Another thing to hear from is geographical uh, shifts. I mean, you are from the Netherlands. You've decided to move to Spain. And which not so many people do. I mean, some people go somewhere for a little bit. You're you're kind of, you're living there for an undefined amount of time uh, together with your partner. How has this geographical shift uh, been for you? Um, I really like it um,
1: and it's it's not only the weather in Spain that's better, um, I like it to to be in another culture and um, Spain is definitely a different culture than the Netherlands, it also uh, makes me look with a different view on the Netherlands and, and on Amsterdam, where I uh, lived a large amount of time. Um, now I have a bit of both, I can go back to the Netherlands and um, it's a country where I grew up, where I know how everything goes and how everything works. Uh, but at the same time i really can see how things in spain go and and it goes differently it's a different culture and um in in a sense is also a mirror to um to yourself and uh what you took from the netherlands and and what the netherlands put into you um into me in this case um so i find pretty exciting to to be in a different place
0: Mm, i see and um uh, did you change certain uh, things because you're living in a new culture or because you looked into your own culture or habits differently?
1: It's really hard to to point in particular to, to Spain because at one moment in time, there's different things in your life that change at the same time. So it's, uh, it's hard to pick at one thing, but um, um, the fact that I had to, to build a new life. Also, meant that I had a bit more time because I had less social events, uh, had less um, appointments with friends. Um, so, that actually, gave me a bit of tranquility and and rest to look at my habits and at the way I uh, um, I order my day. Um, and one of the one of the small things that comes from that is that I have a different um, different eating times. Uh, those are one of the small things that that changed. Uh, but it's because I actually
0: had the possibility to review everything I was doing. Mm, Yeah, so it's a bit of a 360 uh, review. And um, um, Okay, so you mentioned that through uh, making a geographical shift, you can have a bit of a review of your culture of origin, your own habits, your family and friends system. And another way that you've done that is by working in Central Africa, uh, which is quite uh, adventurous. I mean, I haven't met many people that do that type of work. So can you share what you've been doing there and what you've been learning from that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, um, I've worked the past some eight years um, in finance for NGOs, uh, currently, um, or recently as a, as a financial controller. And that means that um, over the past few years, I've worked in finance for uh, several NGOs um, as a financial controller. And that means that I actually uh, look at finance and risk in countries that NGOs work. And those countries are often um, underdeveloped or um, countries in development or countries that suffer from uh, conflict at, um, at the moment. So I traveled quite a bit to, to these countries. And... I really like doing those travels because they teach me a lot as well. And we were just speaking about Spain, and that's kind of a mirror. And um, if I go to a complete different culture and let's say, say Africa or Central Africa, um, then I can see what they do differently than I do. And that actually reflects on what I am doing. So that, that makes me think of, okay, this is really engraved in me because that's the culture I grew up in, and why do I do that? um and what i found most striking actually coming from the netherlands i've been raised as being really direct direct and for example in meetings i would always start just about the subject of the meeting whereas in many countries uh where i've traveled to for work you first ask about uh, their family how people are doing etc and nowadays i even with Dutch colleagues, I take some five or 10 minutes, but before a meeting, I um, decide how many minutes I wanna uh, talk about non-work stuff. And that gives me so much rest that I'm actually in those five or 10 minutes. I do not do that because it's nice to do, but in that five minutes, um, I'm truly interested in that person. So that makes actually the conversation nicer and it means that I have a true interest in the person when I ask those questions rather than just doing it because you have to do.
0: Uh, just because it's kind of uh, polite to quickly ask how was your weekend, you really show interest because you feel there's time to kind of uh, uh, you take time during a meeting for personal discussion.
1: Yeah, that's what I used to do. Just say, how are you? and not even listening. Whereas now I know <laughs> I take 10 minutes and then that 10 minutes I'm really with that person. And that actually sparks my interest in the person because I've got that the 10 minutes to, to talk about that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful insight. I also have a connection with Africa because I live there. Uh, I mean, I'm 36. And out of the 36, I've spent around two years on the continent. Uh, Tanzania, one and a half year. Cape Town, two months. And then I did a bigger trip in Africa. And I kind of... Uh, uh, have experienced three things on the African continent. So one, indeed they're more family focused than we may be in Europe. So everyone, all their neighbors are called cousins and uncles and, and everyone is family. And when, you're, when you have a business meeting but suddenly your uncle comes for dinner, the uncle is more important than the business meeting. Two is they have a different perception of time. So I was in Ghana. Then I was waiting for the bus but instead of that they say it leaves 10 past 10 they said it leaves when the bus is full and I had to wait for three hours till the bus was full before we left and then the third point sometimes also partly maybe because of financial necessity but a bit more short-term focus like how to survive today instead of like planning where do I want to be in three or five years uh, but these three things do they resonate with, with your experiences also or, or do you have different experiences? No, I think
1: they they, uh, resonate perfectly with my experience as well. Um, Personally, I find the the, the timing thing, the most difficult one and still even in Spain, but also uh, when I uh, I work on the African continent to cope with, and that tells a lot about my education and uh, about myself that I'm really time focused. Um, So that's very good to realize uh, that I uh, could do a bit less uh, with my agenda. Um, well, in the other two aspects you, you mentioned, they I think they're recognizable for everybody who's uh, um, who's been outside Northern Europe. Almost, I'd say.
0: Because <laughs> yeah, also in Spain, it's maybe already different, right? In Northern Europe. Yeah, you
1: um, you mentioned that we met in Tallinn and in Estonia, and actually there the cultural difference with the Netherlands is smaller, at least from my perspective, than than with Spain. Um, and maybe it's indeed um, um, the time everybody speaks about that, but it's it's a hard thing to adapt to if you're from northern Europe. Uh, but also the place of family and friends in uh, uh, in a community is it's really different uh, from what we are used to. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, cultural difference is massive, and I think it's uh, good to be aware of that. And um, it's also beautiful to look at it because again, you've got that mirror then, uh, and that teaches something about yourself and, and the education you got.
0: Mm, yeah, I think that's beautiful. It really puts things in uh, in perspective. So we talked about Netherlands, we talked about Central Africa and Spain, um, but we met in Estonia at Mind Valley. Did you this uh, initiate going to Mind Valley, or was it your partner uh, that initiated it? Yeah, it was her. It was her. Um, I was telling that I was a bit on uh,
1: uh, from the bench, uh, uh, shouting at what uh, could have been, uh, what could go better in society, and what other people could do better, and uh, she kind of when we met she kind of gave me a little uh well insight at um how i was behaving what i was doing and um she also came up with mind valley she said uh look what i got there uh uh, pushed on youtube it's mind valley it's a platform for personal growth and uh, they have really cool courses and i think some courses you would benefit from as well um well hesitantly i took a few and um um I was happy to admit that she was right because that has brought me quite a bit. And um, I think she was by the time, uh, especially by the time a bit further in the process. So she also said, they they also have a live event in Tallinn for three weeks where there is a lot of speakers, some of which you've taken courses from, shall we go? Um, and well, I only had one answer and I said, yes. And uh, well, I'm happy we went. Uh, she was right, so. Uh, uh, I think I picked the right partner uh, because it has brought me quite a bit
0: mm. yeah, that's that's important right if your partner can can bring you things and um, what are the things that it has brought you next to the fact of course that we met there but what have been some other things wow it's uh, it's almost the entire way I um,
1: I live my life now um, I've got different habits I've got Kind of my own recipe now uh, for life. Um, I am now open for learning. I know that I need to challenge myself. I also—it's probably the biggest insight—is or the biggest takeaway I got from the whole of uh, Mind Valley—is that I can be critical at myself. Um, if you have the ability to be critical at yourself, it's hard to imagine that it is actually a difficult thing. But for many people, it's really difficult or at least it was for me to to be really critical of myself and see the ugliness and what I was doing. Um and now it's it's easier to be honest to myself.
0: Mm. So what have you been honest about recently that maybe you were not honest about in the past? <laughs> <laughs> well
1: the most painful thing I think for me is that I've not always been a good friend to my friends, mm. for example. Um, I find that pretty painful because I thought I was a good friend and I thought everything was well. And then I thought, well, I, I could have behaved better, actually. It, it was not the best version of myself that I showed. And it's fine if um, that is in general. But if if you're not the best version of yourself to the people you actually care about, um, yeah, that's that's a hard
0: realization. Yeah, so you were not a good, uh, good friend. And then, how did you deal with it? Like, did you uh, communicate with them later that you wanted to change it, or did you change your your friends, or how? How did you deal with it? It's a bit of
1: everything. But I uh, first, first, I admitted to myself, and I think that's the most difficult uh, step to take. And um, the most important thing is to change your behavior. And then later mm-hmm. on, you can have conversations and and be a bit more honest. But at the moment. I changed my behavior. It also made that I could be honest about it um, because it was was closer to my nature to to share these kind of vulnerable things. Is that how you say it?
0: Yes. Yeah. So it really starts with admitting uh, to yourself, right? Before you can uh, make a change. And did some of your friends also shift their behavior because you kind of initiated positive behavior
1: um i think so i don't know if they're listening or and and they think it's about them but uh, yeah i i think it's also when i made clearer my communication and also what i expect or what i need or what i like and what i do not like that they actually act upon that and um in that sense this change i think it has changed the friendship or the. Um, the dynamics between us, mm. and while there, there is also a part that the moment you do that, you meet different people, and um, I'm not sure if um, if we would have become friends five years ago.
0: Mm. Yeah, now I see because you, when you change, when you kind of uh, step up your own game, you also meet uh, different people, and and uh, you let go of some others, maybe. Is it uh, comfortable to speak about this topic while you also know that some of your friends might be listening? Or is it uncomfortable?
1: No, it's uh, it's comfortable. And um, I realize that actually. And, and I'm happy with that. Because it means that, well, if it's uncomfortable to a certain extent, then you know there is a few more things to learn there. And it used to be uncomfortable. But now I'm fine with it. Because... Mm.
0: Um,
1: I think I've taken that step. And there is way, way many more steps to take, uh, but at least this nut I cracked.
0: Yeah, I see. Well, congratulations, congratulations. I, um, uh, with my friends, I always used to drink together, it was really part of our friendships. But then a year ago, I I, I I quit drinking, as you know. But it also changed some of my friendship dynamics because with some friends, there was always part of the package. Um, so my question is: I mean, we also talked about it briefly in our interaction. But what is your relationship with alcohol, and how is that connected to to friend dynamics and certain habits? Um,
1: my relationship with alcohol um, was pretty typical for somebody my generation, like the majority of people. Um, so I uh, I drank quite a lot. Um, with friends and friendships were actually built on that as well so i i really recognize what you were saying there um i think since i left the netherlands i drink less and now i drink more on certain times in the in the week um so i try to stick to the rule only drink weekends and not uh, during the week um and it goes quite well um but it also means that when i see friends um you have to Um, to reshape your friendship Um, but i think that's not only related to alcohol i think in general if you make a a personal shift or uh, personal development and if they do the same but they go another path then you need to reinvent your friendship and i'd say true friendship is trying to reinvent it always and always find a way to uh to meet each to meet each other in the middle um so it's it's working um, and sometimes it's hard work, uh, but yeah, things change over time. And, and also then the dynamics of friendships change.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's part of, uh, of life. And funnily enough in romantic relationships is very socially accepted that you can quit them and you can have, let's say breakups, yeah. but with friends, it's less socially accepted to kind of break up with a friend. So I recently talked with one of my friends uh, about this topic. And it's quite interesting, actually, to think about it, that it's more socially accepted uh, to break up with a romantic partner than, than with friends. But um, anyway, we're not we're not here to talk the entire time about friends, even though it's an interesting topic. Another topic that you're passionate about is public speaking. You recently attended a public speaking academy by Eric Edmides, uh, a public speaking teacher that I interviewed earlier in the Soul Kitchen. He's yeah, one of the yeah. most uh, world-renowned uh, public speaking teachers. So what, what were kind of your key insights from you know, participating in this course? I would
1: say the key insight is that everybody has stories. And um, public speaking is about telling stories because uh, we are wired to listen to stories. And everybody has got stories to tell and actually entertaining stories to tell, which means that at any given moment in time, you can take the floor and tell something Um, you basically have in your backpack because you've got a backpack full of stories and many of them appeal to people and uh, you can tweak them to little lessons or to, to nice uh, puns, uh, nice jokes. Um, I think that's, that's the key insight. And once you realize that, then uh, you'll never need to be afraid of public speaking to go on stage, but also you never need to be afraid of what's going to happen on stage. If your presentation is not working or something happens in the audience, uh, then you can always cope with that.
0: Mm, I see. So preparation is key. Uh,
1: To a certain extent. um, He also, he taught us that you're always prepared. You always can go on stage as long as you (laughs) have that realization and you've got your stories. um, So actually it means... If we are together somewhere and you put me on stage and to speak about something, uh, then you can. And if you, once, if you uh, go ahead, go ahead, yeah, yeah. Once you've done it more often and you know your stories, it's also pretty easy to improvise. Um, because then there is a certain topic, and in your mind, you exactly know which story resonates with that, and you can tell it,
0: um, and you're comfortable it's- with it. If you will be excited to speak tomorrow at TED Global, the famous uh, event where people can share their ideas, what would be the title of your talk? The Power of Indoctrination. The Power of Indoctrination? Oh, yeah. I didn't expect that. I thought you would talk about public speaking. So can you tell me more? Oh,
1: I, I thought I could just give uh, whatever talk I could do there. I didn't know you were uh, going about uh, uh, public speaking itself um yeah um next tuesday i'm uh attending another Toastmasters session so toastmasters is a club a global club at which people can uh, practice the public speaking and you get critique or and, uh, feedback from your fellow toastmasters and i go there uh, every tuesday here in the city of granada and um well tuesday i'm going to speak about uh, the power of indoctrination uh, and it's around the story that i um, uh, that I experienced back in 2012 um, actually I kind of forgot about it but when we were uh, with Arrogate Meats it kind of sparked again uh, that I did uh, experience something interesting there um, so uh, that one is now in my mind a bit for uh, upcoming Tuesday but I could I could deliver that talk tomorrow at 10 o'clock uh, without any preparation, no worries
0: mm. and um, what does public speaking bring you because you've grown in self-confidence you've grown from this design project um, where you were not so focused on customers and now you're creating something where you're going outside more now you've taken that course now you do the podcast you'll be interviewed by dutch magazine in a few months what is it kind of bringing you that you're now stepping into this role i
1: think Public speaking is not only about public speaking. It's also about telling a story, being convincing um, and getting your, your thoughts clear, because now I know when I deliver a story, what the audience need to know in order uh, to understand the story. And um, that makes actually that that I'm more comfortable in conversations with people or if they ask me questions and I tell something to them, uh, because in the end, those are small public, public speaks. Um and it has helped me enormously in in getting my thoughts in order um when just speaking to someone.
0: Mm, I see so it's it 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 challenges you to put your thoughts on order and it's also a way to make your impact on the world right, or to share kind of your your philosophies yeah because recently, I was at a festival in Costa Rica, and while I was dancing and also. Enjoying some some magical uh, experiences of which I will not uh, specify, but I was suddenly looking at the world and suddenly I saw that humans share ideas and follow ideas. That I mean, anyone can wake up at any day and share a story, and if other people like that story, then they come to so the festival in the jungle of Costa Rica. Okay, someone said, "Hey, let's go to the jungle and let's celebrate life together." then, of course, you need tickets, you need tents. There's practicalities around it, but it's someone with an idea. And suddenly I saw the world is just a collective of ideas. And people that have similar ideas come together, either physically or online. Nice. But it was the first time that I really saw the world through that lens. And if you look at entrepreneurship, it's similar that it's really about, are you able to spread your idea? Uh, Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Please
1: go ahead. Yeah, it's, a, it's indeed spreading your idea, and and um, you look for people that that idea resonates with. Um, if they like the idea, then they come together. And um, if you want to get the metaphor together, then um, if you build something like, let's say, a web shop, then people come online on your platform that have that similar idea. Um, yeah. So then, then basically, all those visitors together are a community in a sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see. So you're create you're sharing your idea, you're creating community. And then there's, of course, practicalities. I mean, there needs to be a business model and you have to te- you have a team. And um, what could be your uh, shortcut? So there's this American investor, Peter Thiel, and he has this piece of wisdom. Like, is there, uh, like, what you typically achieve in 10 years, how could you achieve that in one day or in one year? he talks about those shortcuts but what could be the most radical shortcut for you to spread your idea more rapidly well i think the answer
1: is always Oprah. (laughs) always Oprah Winfrey right yeah if you don't know the answer then just say Oprah Winfrey
0: Um,
1: if 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 a person um, with that amount of followers could endorse your idea or actually i think it's it's again twofold if if such a person really believes in your idea then it really sparks something in you to um to to, to put an extra mile in again um mm-hmm. but i think also in in terms of practicalities it gives you so much exposure um so somebody of uh, of her tenure posture uh, um endorsing bukachu would uh uh would definitely help <laughs> Who, who is in your phone book, uh, Jasper, that can help me there?
0: It's uh, a good good question. I mean, there are some podcasters that I'm starting to get to know. Because okay. nowadays I'm a podcast host and then suddenly you meet other podcasters. Uh, but I think Oprah Winfrey is, is definitely a cool idea. And b- one idea I have for you is that you take one step at a time in terms of uh, promotion. So there's this challenge that you start with a pencil then you try to exchange it for something that is a little bit more valuable, right? Yeah. A pencil to a pen, a pen to a magazine, a magazine to this. And then at the end, you have, let's say, a house. So you could take Soul Kitchen as a starting point. And uh, even though uh, my dreams are maybe uh, wild, I'm uh, I'm not yet uh, Tim Ferris of J Sh- or Jay Shetty, uh, right? <laughs> uh, but after this, you're going to call magazine. Your reach will increase, and then you can take it kind of step by step. Yeah. And then you can see how far you can go. I think that could be a really uh, cool approach. So I can offer you more, let's say, this approach than, let's say, necessarily the, the one contact uh, that I feel uh, will be... Yeah, helpful. no, but that's,
1: that, that's a great offer. I think that's uh, that's a marvelous insight and uh, that, that's a very good step to take. So uh, thanks.
0: And I think in reality, that's also how it goes, right? That, that yeah. then you start somewhere, then someone sees you. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think so. You just need to go out and play.
0: Yeah, you just need to go out and and do it. So you have lived in a few different places. You've gone through different places. Uh, You like to learn languages. Can you share a bit about the passion for languages that you have?
1: Yeah. Um, What I really like about it is um, that when I'm learning a language that I can see, I'm really a sucker for grammar. Um, Not many people uh, like that. They just want to like to speak the language. But um, if I understand a certain grammatical rule, then uh, to me that's an insight of how you can tackle a problem. And I understand that most languages are not really designed by people, um, but they grew over time. But they have certain challenges or problems that they solve. And the further languages apart, the more different they solve problems. Uh, and I like to see that because it's almost different ways of um, uh, of solving a problem with different uh, creativity. And um, when I learn a new language and when I learn a new grammatical rule, then I get really excited. Like, okay, they do it differently. Um, interesting. I never thought of um, of that way of saying something or that you could uh, make, uh, let's say, the possessive form in that way. Um So that's, I think, that I find that the most interesting about it.
0: Mm. And um, one of the things about languages is that it's a daunting task uh, to start learning. But uh, a while ago, I was in Portugal and someone hosted a master class on language learning. And he said, if you learn 150 words, then you basically have the basic idea of a language and you can go to a wedding and have conversations. So he said, make it small and, and just start learning 150 words. But is that also in line with your view of language learning?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think he's completely right in that. Um, because it's it's something you can oversee, 150 words, you can learn that. And the moment you're exposed to that language, you definitely pick up a few of those words. So you hear them. And that's rewarding because that means you are getting there. And um, it's your door to speak in that language. and you say learning a language is daunting, okay? It's, it's um, maybe really hard to speak a language perfectly. Um, like we are speaking in English and yet there is, we are doing well, but there is, is still a lot to prove there. Um, but it's also easy to start learning a language. You just start with a few words. Thank you, hello, how are you? And you do another 100 words and you, you're already almost immersed in it. Um, so I would I would say, yeah, learn a few words, um, 10 or 100, whatever, uh, feels comfortable starting with, and you'll see that it pays off. And once you've mm. taken the first step, then the other ones are uh, are easier.
0: Hmm. I think that's good advice. And um, in the Netherlands, when you go to high school, at some point you have to choose between track A and track B, and track A is more language and culture oriented, and track B is more mathematics uh, and, and maybe... Um, Uh, biology oriented, at least that was happening when we were in high school. But you studied econometrics, which is more a B uh, side and then language is more A side. So do you feel they require two different skills and mindset or do you feel there's actually a lot of overlap between these two disciplines? Um,
1: I definitely would disagree that, that, that there is a track A and a track B and that people are differently organized. And when you're good at one, you're not good at the other or the other way around. Um, I think everything goes with interest if you're interested in something um, then you can learn it it might be that uh, uh, that we have different ways of thinking and I might think a bit more structured or mathematically and that I also approach a language like that that I do it Mm -hmm. less on feeling and that I do it more on what is the grammatical rule and that I have all these uh, schedules in my mind that could be but that's 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 a bit hard to um uh, to judge because I only know my head really well and I don't know what uh, um too well. But I do not believe that some people are more skilled at learning languages than others. I think there's just a trained language learner and an untrained language learner. It's, uh, it's a bit stolen from Jim Quick, this quote, but um, with the tweak, I think it does make sense. Mm. And Jim Quick is a mindfelly teacher, right? Yes, yeah. He said there is not such a thing as a good memory and a bad memory, only a trained and an untrained um, and I think for languages it's somehow it's the same. It's also the more languages you speak, the the easier it or the more comfortable you get learning another language and the more comfortable you get in making mistakes. and um well, i've I've conquered a few languages or I'm in the process of conquering them still. and um I think that the best advice I can give is just try to make as many mistakes as you can. Because the moment you make a mistake, you, you also
0: realize it's a mistake. And uh, that means that you're improving. Mm, I see. So making mistakes is is, uh, is part of the, the process. And not being afraid to make a mistake, right? But seeing it more as part of the learning process.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's part of it. You have to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, wise, uh, wise counsel. Well, we're nearly at the end of our episode. And I'm realizing that we're both men eh? 36 uh, 37 a little bit in the middle of life uh, i i don't think we're, we we have our mid midlife crisis already um but a question that comes to mind is how is it to be a 37 year old man i've liked
1: every language i was i truly liked that to be 18 when i was 18 i thought it was a it was a great um great age um and i also like being 37 with the experience I've now, and the funny thing is, if you look 10 years back, then I look okay. What did that 27-year boy actually know? I know now a lot more. So um, that actually is a is a reminder that in 10 years' time, I I will think, what did that 37-year boy know? Um, <laughs> so, so, so so that's a good realization, I think. Um, and um, while well, every every age has its charm. Um, and now it's good to be 37 and in three years it's good to be 40 and uh, (laughs) well after that let's see
0: (laughs) let's see what happens well so what is your um, uh, is there something else you want to share with the listener uh, before we uh, continue our day separately we spoke about languages and um, I'm really passionate about
1: it because it it gives access to a whole different world and and, uh, to to a whole different set of wisdom Um, so just start indeed with that 100 150 words of a language you've always wanted to speak uh start with that and um do five minutes every day something like that and then uh, you'll get there
0: Uh, well thank you tim for sharing your uh, your wisdom has been a pleasure and uh thanks to everyone that has been listening i hope to see you soon bye-bye